Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. That kind of hurts. You are drawing on yourself? Oh, hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. What are you drawing? Are you practicing for tattooing? No, these are lines on my wrist to distinguish where my wrist is. The children are doing the same thing in the other room. What? Yeah. Distinguishing where your wrist is? They're trying to distinguish their wrists? Oh, you don't know about this. And why are they doing it in the other room? Well, we have to not be apart, and then we come together to see where we do the... Wait, wait. You have to be apart. I'll explain it, yeah. Okay. Back at Greenwald University, we sometimes would do this experiment. And it was all about where we thought lines were in the world. So you go into one place and, well, I guess, you know, we were just in the woods. So go over that little behind that tree and you go over there behind the mossy log and everybody can draw, we used usually charcoal or something, a little line where their wrist... I just rubber bands because... Oh, you're a genius. Pen kind of stays, and you have several lines drawn there. Well, I couldn't quite decide where. Okay, never mind. What happens? Tell me about this. You draw where your wrist begins and where your wrist ends. And then everybody gets together, because we all know what a wrist is. Daw, obviously. And then we all get together to see if we know what a wrist is. Because if we know what a wrist is, daw, we should be able to define where it starts and ends. But almost everybody has a different idea of where their wrist begins and ends. And that is telling. It shows us into the deeper workings of our mind. Really? Well, elucidate, please. (laughs) My darling, this is all about the myth of separation. The myth of separation. Yes. And myth in the sense not of a falsehood, though we're kind of saying it's a falsehood here but in the sense of a story, a story that holds important implications for the way that we look at life and the way that we live. Okay, so I can see drawing lines that we're all gonna draw lines differently on our wrist, but also I guess probably with people and ourselves and what we think is right and what we think is wrong. So help me get from the drawing the lines to the separation part of things. Mm. Well, when we're out in the woods, it's really wonderful to do this with a tree. Because another little exercise you can do is you can say to a person, well, here's a piece of paper or you're not we're in the woods. So let's say a little piece of birch bark and here's your charcoal stick. Draw a tree. And a lot of people will just draw a tree just the part that's above the ground so they'll make a line and then draw the trunk and then you know a little bushy cloud-like thing that's the leaves so they have drawn a tree but they haven't really drawn a tree you know they've forgotten a really important part the roots okay and the more people get nature connected and especially start learning about ecology and actually how trees live through this whole network of fungi and being dependent on the sun. There is an interesting book, too, that we've been reading about the trees. Yeah. What was that one called? Do you remember? Oh, I don't know. Let's put it down in the the comments. Description. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah, in the description. So what happens 
is people start to move from looking at a tree as just this kind of cutout figure in their head and see that it's tied in basically to the entire forest. If you take this far enough, to the entire world. Whoa. Okay, so you're saying instead of just, I'm reminded of the little prince where they he, they have them draw different pictures in the beginning of what people think are different things. Oh, yeah. One of them's a hat, but then it's like a snake that swallowed an elephant, actually. And <laughs> So in general, we can draw that first part of the tree, but then people might take it a step further and draw the roots. But then you're saying we might have to extend it outward to the whole biome. But then we also have to talk about the air and the weather patterns. And then we extend on and on, and pretty soon our picture has to encompass basically everything that there is. The piece of paper swiftly becomes too small because you know it's it's the soil and the soil is there because of the shape of the terrain and the other trees wow. that have kept the soil there. I can see that this is kind of complicated. So why do we want to not feel separate anyway? I mean, isn't some separation good? You know, the idea of separation, I, I hearken back to one of my favorite authors, Lauren Isley. Mm. And in one of his many, many essays, and I cannot remember which one it was, he talked about words as wizardry, mm. as this magical power that when we take a, a, an apparent thing, a tree, and we put a word onto it, oak tree, it becomes something in our mind and it stands out. And that allows us to do everything from develop a kind of a personal relationship with that tree to doing science, because mm -hmm. science depends on this dividing up of the world. But he said the danger of this division comes when we forget that it's a tool, it's a magic spell that we've created as humans. And then we don't become the wizards anymore but the magic turns around and enchants us mm. so that we become lost in the separation that we created. So that's the reason that we do this wrist exercise to remind us that these lines that we draw are ones that we humans have created. And I, even though I think I know what a tree is and you think you know what a tree is, mm. we might have very different lines that we draw around that tree. And that colors our entire perception, really, of life in the universe. Boy, this is a heavy topic, actually. It's requiring <laughs> me to use my brain. <laughs> I have to dust it off there. So then where, all right, you know me, I'm just kind of the practical side of things. It's like, all right, that's all great and wonderful. But how is that going to help us in our regular everyday lives? I always am wanting to give myself and people out there who are listening the ability to take something away from this that might shift their life or their perspective a little bit. And so I'm thinking about people and relationships or just my own daily life. Where do you see this idea of non-separation as improving or shifting our life for the better? Well, I don't want to answer with the negative. But I'm going to anyway, <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes it helps to see when we become enchanted by our lines, what happens. Okay. And what happens is we get things like racism. We get mm. things like sexism. We get things like reactive judgments inside of our own minds. Oh. 
Now, unexamined, nonetheless. Unexamined, and yes, we become completely unaware that those are even operating. We take them as a reality because we're enchanted by them. And then, whoa, suddenly the world becomes this huge, giant mess of separated things, all trying to push each other around and interact with each other. And it's very confusing. <laughs> very confusing. Well, yeah. I guess then you end up with a lot of anxiety, angst, depression, frustration, anger, because I'm separate. I think we've talked about this before. A lot of times our standard American culture kind of tells us from the moment we're born, actually, it's just like we're born into this, that we are this separate individual in a whole universe of separate entities. And it's kind of a well, you're not going to come out on top always because you're just this little thing in a sea of all sorts of other things. Yeah, it's actually pretty frightening. And you can see why we have become so fear-based in our lives when you start to recognize that we hold this worldview. As you say, we're taught as children, you know, as infants, we start to learn these words, these separations. But very few parents stop to teach their children, wait, children, you know, you're, you're four or five now, you're old enough to understand this, that these words that we've been teaching you, these divisions in the world, they're all artificial. They're artisan, are artistic. Ah, what's the word I'm trying to say? Made they're, up? They're artly. <laughs> they're made up. They're wizardry. They aren't real in any deeper sense, except that you and I have agreed upon some lines and thus it becomes a reality for us. And they remain so unexamined that the lines that I've taught you might not be the same lines that I think I've taught you. Mm, wow. Oh, that's really a good point. I think we, as I said before, unexamined, we don't examine as a whole culture what different labels are. And well, we talked about that in the last podcast with what does it mean to be a man or what are gender roles or any kind of roles in our culture and those are also things that become boxes so anytime we put a word on something we box it we crystallize it then it does become separate but as you so eloquently pointed out there isn't a dividing line there isn't a separation necessarily unless we want to make use of ones that we create maybe intentionally like language so we can communicate. But even so, that isn't the deeper underlying truth of things. I'm really glad that you think my artisany, artisany, art, oh, artisty please. is eloquent. <laughs> I was referring to before that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about the tree and all the interconnection. So then let's take a look at the flip side. Why do we want to be aware of this separation? What could life look like if we were more aware of that myth of separation? Well, if I can get intimate here and share some stuff from our life, yeah, I think of my relationship with you. And I was in love with you very early on and and I've always just... In your life or in our in, relationship? In my life. Because hopefully and, in our relationship <laughs> you in were in love with me early on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I saw you as a separate being from myself. Mm. And so I was having a relationship with you, Rebecca, who 
were because you are an isolated individual in my world it's very easy to blame you for things mm. it's very easy to look at you and criticize you it's very easy to get frustrated or stressed or angry mm -hmm. with you now when I break down those lines and this is especially I think very poignant in relationships because I started to see that what do I mean by I'm Kenton and I'm separate from you because who I am mm. from a cellular level from the food I eat to my thoughts that go through my head to my emotional makeup to my life experiences all of those have really been forged so much in context with you mm -hmm. that putting a clear line between us becomes more and more difficult mm. I literally would not be anywhere the same person that I am today if I was not in context with you for this past 30 years so that is a place where looking at you separate meant that I could be frustrated angry judge judgmental towards you yeah, especially if I didn't match up with your definition of me as a separate individual absolutely right because I put a little line around you right and this I am this way I am that way but I'm not that way so why am I acting like that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and that created immense stress and frustration in my life and in your life mm. you were the recipient of that so when I saw you as part of me and I just switched that way of seeing then I can't blame you for things in the same way all of your actions are also springing up out of the context of our connection our relationship especially because we live together 24 7 don't go away from each other this is especially true in our mm -hmm. case with our children who we fund school at home so homeschool same thing they are growing up very much in the context of us if I see a behavior in them that I disapprove of it's probably time for me to look and see where did they learn that because mm. they're not going to school <laughs> and learning it at school you can blame that one on me they it's learned right. it from you Rebecca <laughs> But right, it probably came from me in some way. Or, or it could be a reflection. Out of that. Yeah, yeah, of something that they have witnessed. You know, that's really interesting because a lot of times, I'm thinking right now of when you get into an argument with someone, it seems as though things are so black and white. You're the one that leaves the toilet seat up. I'm the one that wants it down. But as you're saying, we are living together. And if I weren't here wanting the toilet seat to be down, there would be no problem. So... In a weird way, because we're there, then we're connected. Mm -hmm. We're a part of it. And whether we want to be or not, we're intricately involved. And I think that's true not just for the people that we're close to, but all the time in all sorts of different places. Driving to work or going grocery shopping before you head home for the evening. All these different ways boy, what would it be like if we could start to see our connection with others, our, our non-separateness, our, our context-ness, uh, if you will? I think there's, there's a scary part to it because what this teaches us is that if I go into the forest and I cut down a single tree, even let's say a dead one, I'm altering the entire forest ecosystem. 
So my impacts spread out very widely and that can collapse in on us and make us feel, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for everything around me. Mm. But that can only happen actually when I'm thinking of myself as a separate entity. When I start to think of myself in unity, then my interactions with the forest, my interactions with you, I, I do take on a new responsibility, but I take on a grand new power too, because I start to recognize that I am not powerless in the context of this relationship. I can change, for instance, maybe the behavior of one of our children that I don't like seeing. I can change it more effectively, not by isolating her out and saying, you're doing this wrong, mm. but by looking at myself where I have created that context, switch that context in myself, and then, wow, suddenly I can have more power to change the apparent otherness Mm. around me by seeing my unity with all of it, by seeing my interconnection. And again, we can take this at different levels. We can say it's in context, it's things that are interconnected. We can go all the way to saying it's a unity. That's kind of where we are maybe in our spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. But if we just move away from that basic myth of complete separation of objects, and we start to at least see that they're in context with each other, then we've taken a step towards this more harmonious way of interacting with everything in our life. Well, what I like about what you're saying is that it puts the responsibility onto us, ourselves, versus onto another person, and it gets away from the blamingness, which I think is very empowering when you realize, oh, look at by changing myself, and I am in relation with things, then I can change other situations that may or may not be pleasing to me mm -hmm. or stressful to me. And so I love that it comes down to myself and my responsibility and then seeing, wow, by being here, I influence things. And what part am I playing in this? And I just think a lot of times, as you've mentioned, we go on autopilot, we think, okay, that's a tree, that's my wife, that's a box of chocolate chips and oh, a bag of chocolate chips because they don't come in boxes, at least not here. So I see all of those things, but as we're talking about here, if I see that as separate, then I'm kind of robbing myself of a deeper interaction with it. And so I love the idea of coming back to accountability, I guess, mm. instead of going, okay, that's your fault and that's your fault. I say, hey, wait, I'm interconnected with this. What's my part that I played in it? I think anytime we're pointing a finger at someone else or something else, that shows that we are lost in this myth of separation. It shows that we aren't seeing that context. I mean, again, we, we can come down to situations of extreme abuse and stuff where a person, the only thing they might be doing to create that context is being there. And in extreme cases, they may not even have much of a choice of mm. being there. But outside of those extreme cases, taking this on to ourselves, again, although it's initially scary because, boy, suddenly I'm responsible, I'm accountable. But when I do that, this opens such a doorway. And to free ourselves of this myth of separation, or at least liberate ourselves from it a little bit, the 
The rewards are immense, really immense. Well, I'm thinking right now of when we would have students and towards the end of their time period, we would go back into society, walk down the street. You would say, okay, you have to go approach somebody and talk to them, someone you don't know, mm -hmm. or you have to go in the grocery store and talk to two different people. It could be in any way that you want. What's interesting is when I think, oh my gosh, it's just this little me I'm going, there's these other people. Ah! It can be really stressful. But when I see, hey, I'm not separate. And in fact, maybe what does separate me from this other person? I've just noticed that for our forest monks and for ourselves, really interesting experiences tend to unfold mm. when you approach people or situations just with this idea of, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to see where I can affect things in a positive way. Oh. Whether it's, as we've talked about before, helping someone you know, unload their groceries into their car. I mean, there's lots of different ways, but then it's unbelievable the amount of times that synchronicities will happen when we do this. You know, we'll talk to somebody and then, oh, yeah, well, my brother you know, lives <laughs> next door to, oh, my brother lives next door to your brother. How odd is that? And I just think it's a beautiful gift to not be afraid to go and talk and help and interact with other people and creatures on the planet and to not have that base of fear, but just to feel empowered that, in fact, we are not that different. Okay, I have to go on a quick tangent. Okay, tangent away. <laughs> so... This you brought up people going in and interacting with people in the store, our forest monks. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who. Well, I think I remember who it was, but I'm not going to say his name. Okay. But just a delightful forest monk, and and he was doing this exercise oh. going into a grocery store. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, think yeah. I know what you're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to find somebody to go up to, and and he he saw this this older woman, and she had a a purse that looked like it was handmade. And of course, his mind is thinking he's appreciating handmade things because he's been making some handmade things, you know, out in the woods. And, and so he, he goes up to this this older woman and says, wow, that's a really nice purse. <laughs> and of course, he kind of forgets that he's dirty and shabby and dressed and all this. And she's <laughs> looking at him and looking down at her purse. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think she said something like, thank you. <laughs> But I do remember him reporting how she gave him a look as though, why are you complimenting my purse? <laughs> but yes, that's such a great exercise because they it shows how this, when we don't draw a line, when we don't just judge something, when we are open to the possibility of it being wondrous, amazing, beyond our current conception, then it opens this door where we become curious about things. And if I'm curious about something, I'm going to approach it in a completely different way than I am if I'm judgmental about it. It's right there, that woman, you know, to turn it around, she probably had some judgment about his appearance and what he was saying and some fears. And so she closed a door where basically anybody that got to know this guy Newt found out swiftly that he was one of the most heartfelt, caring, giving people mm -hmm. in the universe. And so it's possible that she may have missed something there. She might have missed an open door into a wonderful connection by losing herself in that judgment. And of course, I'm not in her mind, but 
I'm just imagining in that situation that would have been a possibility. Many instances in my own life where I've looked at a person mm -hmm. and because of their appearance have judged and then I closed a door and I couldn't know them any more deeply than my judgment. Yeah, I think judging happens to all of us. And I think the beautiful thing about being aware of the myth of separation is that we can start to be aware when we have judgment, when we think we know what something is, what its lines are, and when we're crystallizing something. And I think, again, I just come back to having relationships with people. One other superpower or gift of this is that if you're aware that you aren't actually as separate from other people as we all think we are, when you have a difficulty with someone that's in your life, a spouse, a sibling, a coworker, a, a child, and maybe they react to you, maybe you see their judgment, you can be aware. It takes practice, but you can step back and say, oh gosh, you know what? I can completely see where you would have thought that about what I just said or what I did. I mm. could see where you're thinking that. And you can actually be interconnected with them and realize, wow, something that I've done, I'm a part of their world, something I've done has created this and how can I help to shift that? And so in that neat way, you can diffuse the situation mm. simply by understanding hey, maybe there is something going on and not being egotistical and thinking, well, it's just me and I've got to protect myself. You think, actually, it's my me here that I, as I experience myself and this other person and we're more connected than we realize. And then you get this beautiful way of moving forward in relationships where you can validate someone and talk without having there be this sense of having to defend your ego. Mm. Wow. I love it world-changing, life-changing. Yeah, I think it has a lot of potential to take away stress from us, stress and anxiety. But I guess the question is, how do we do that? Well, naturally, you have to unleash... Your life! Ah! <laughs> okay, it's time for you to unleash your life, and we're going to do some action points here. And I want to do the first one. Go for it. Okay, the first one is a car called Rocket Game. This is a really interesting, neat game that you developed a while back. It was more of a mental game, but it's really fun to play it. It's inspired, I think, by either the Iliad or the Odyssey and the story of what happens to their ship. Oh, tell. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to introduce it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, in the story, yeah. they, they have their ship. Let's call it... Uh, Oh my gosh, this is so sad that we don't know what the name know, of the ship is I or know. even which of it these really great is. epics it is. Uh, oh, pitiful. It shows our complete lack but, of culture. But we're not separated. So someone out there who's listening does know because yeah. they know we know. I'm going to call their ship the X-5000 Maverick <laughs> Storm of Doom. Okay, so the X-5000 Maverick Storm of Doom, they start out. It's going to be a long podcast if you have to say that every <laughs> single time. Just X5000 for short. Everybody everybody gets it. So as they're going along, you know, the ship gets damaged here and there, and they have to repair it and repair it. And by the time they get back, they have repaired, they've basically replaced every, not basically, they have replaced every single part of the X5000. Doesn't that happen with our bodies? Well, it arguably happens with our bodies. And that that's where this adventure gets kind of interesting. The, the reason we call a car called Rocket is... 
take us on a quick little imagination game. Okay. And then I'll explain how to use this for yourself and to take this to the second level. So you own this super cool red, uh, again, I'm going to show my lack of culture, 68 Corvette, those are really curvy ones. Oh, I have no 78? idea. I don't know. A nice <laughs> so, I think it's collector 68 car. And this beautiful red Corvette, and it has this license plate, Rocket. Little red Corvette. Little red Sweet. Corvette. <laughs> and it has this uh, vanity license plate, Rocket, because you have a name for it, and you love this car. And it just so happens that you've got this buddy, and he has an identical make and model and color of this, uh, this Is Corvette. Is the license plate the same? No. Okay. No, no. doesn't even have a license plate, because um, he doesn't drive it. It just sits in his garage, okay. and he's not using it, so he says, hey, bud. If you ever need parts, then, hey, I'll, I'll help you out. And so you, you're driving down the road and you lose a, a hubcap. And mm. he like says, hey, no problem. I've got the exact same one. He sticks it on there. This is like the X5000. Yes. Is your car still rocket? With just one hubcap? Yeah. Oh, and then we keep going. Yeah. What if you replace all the hubcaps? What if you replace all the hubcaps and all the tires? Yeah, you're all you're the hubcaps, all the tires, and your engine, your rear fender, end. your windows. Your if you've replaced every single part, is it still the same car? And if you take yourself through it step by step, then you start to ask yourself, when does it? When is it not rocket anymore? <gasps> and if you have replaced the whole thing and you've stuck the new license plate. The same uh, license plate? It's the same license plate. You've still got your Rocket license plate. Is is that really Rocket? Or is it the car that was in your friend's garage? Which is now no longer there. Which is now no longer there. So, Whoa. Could you do this with yourself uh, then? Imagine. That is the exercise. Okay, imagine it's in the future. And you can, scientists can now download your memories and all of that. So then you start replacing yourself. Yep. Don't, a... Let's not do it for people here okay, because it's really important that you do this yourself and start with a start with a, your pinky. Okay, so we're imagining that regenerative capabilities are possible, etc. Memories are going to be put back into you. You know, some things you can lose. You can lose a pinky, right? Mm -hmm. And say, sure, put on a bionic one. Okay. All right. Are you still Rebecca? Okay. And, and most people at that point would would safely oh, say you guys yes. out there you have to do this and then tell us what you think this is freaky and as she said it's really important to recognize this is in the future and you, we can download and replace memories emotions and things what is you when do you replace a, a part that you no longer are yourself okay i can't i'm not gonna say yeah. anymore and and you can replace with organic material or you can place with bionic material sometimes it helps people to replace it with bionic material because mm. that helps us to to access that myth of separation. It's pretty easy if I get a new finger on there to still think of it as me. But if it's a metal or plastic one, mm. you know, am I still me? And what percentage of my body, mind, emotions uh, does it take okay. before? It's very telling. Wow. So that's the first thing is the car called Rocket Game. Play it with your own quote self whatever that is yeah and tell us and then realizing that that then can be sort of extrapolated into the second action point because you can do this with other things too yeah yeah which is the origins game the origins game is really fun with kids with family 
And it's a perfect tool for when your kid is five, six, seven, whenever you think they're at the right age, to start to unlearn the enchantment, to recognize that the words we use don't actually just frame a little freeze frame thing, mm. but they try in vain to encompass something much larger than that. So do we give an example? Can we take yeah. like this shirt right here? Okay. So we're in the closet doing this we... <laughs> because we're closet, closet podcasters. <laughs> it's the only place where the sound is good because our house is too echoey. So we're in the closet and Rebecca is reach for of course the nearest available thing which <laughs> it's a shirt is a shirt and this is a blue shirt and it's kind of a blouse and it Got has silver metal button yeah and as we look at this my mind glances over this and mm. says shirt maybe it even says blue shirt well in my mind it says oh that's my that's my blue shirt that i yeah. wear for blah blah so it has a little bit more meaning mm -hmm. for you right but for me my mind has stopped and has not explored it any further than that for you it's gone a little bit further but still not really far right but so let's explain how we do this okay you start to figure out what what are the origins how did this shirt come to be here you can start by reading the label and it's let's say it says um made in 100 percent cotton Oh, there's extra buttons here. There's I never noticed buttons. that. Just in case I miss them. Hopefully, one. it doesn't say made in China. Um, it doesn't tell where it was made. <laughs> let's so... say it says. Well, let's pretend it says made in China, <laughs> and okay. it says 100% cotton. So now we're taken back to some factories in China, and we are taken to cotton fields. Well, yeah, because they have somewhere. to get the cotton from someplace. Yeah. And the dye from someplace. And how do those, yeah, where does the dye come and from? The and how is that produced? And then someone has to get metal for the buttons. That took mining. And Huge so machines digging into the earth. Someone had to make the machines to dig the earth. Yeah, who invented those? Right. And why did they choose to make them yellow or red? There, there was a designer that made this piece of clothing. Who was that designer? And people and, who sewed it. Yeah. Hopefully not slave labor. And It's a secondhand shirt. I didn't pay. <laughs> and it does not say made in China. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, this is woven. When yeah, did humans so invent, you know, weaving. some human had to figure out weaving at some point. And that developed over centuries and centuries oh, and centuries. Oh, look at there's sequins on here. There's now sequins. I've got some plastic oh. in, getting involved in this. Who invented so, plastic? And plastic and the, and then all the places factories and machines. From. Right. There's an immense origin story to this. And Plus, if we... somebody else owned this shirt before I picked it up. Yeah. I Whoa. have no idea. Or maybe more than one person. And this can lead to research. I can sit down with the kids and start to see, okay, where does a lot of our metal come from? What countries does it source in? How is it mined? What kind of machines mine it? What kind of factories turn it from a raw ore into this? And that might lead me to the origins of humans using metal and learning about the first use of copper or iron. You know where this bronze. gets me, I have to just jump in, is yeah. when I decide I want to get something that's locally made, it's made from natural materials, it's got natural dyes, oh my heavens, in order to actually find something like that, 
takes, it takes a lot of research. A lot of research. Because just when you think you found something, then you find out that the dyes are synthetic and they're coming from overseas and suddenly you have to start looking all over again. <laughs> so there's so much involved with it. But if you play it with kids and follow their lead, this can be really fun. And if you follow anything long enough, if you really, really, really follow it, what happens? You will get back essentially to, depending on your belief structure, the Big Bang. to the Big Bang, oh. to whatever origin story your religion or wisdom tradition wow. talks about. Everything is going to trace back in this giant origin story to that essential beginningness, if there was a beginning. That's another podcast. <laughs> what I love about this exercise, though, is that it begins to take things that we simply box and crystallize, have a name for, separate out, and it begins to show us that each thing that we touch in our life that comes into contact with us is pretty involved. It's a big collaboration of, of all sorts of things. And that's really, really amazing because suddenly you can begin to feel how you aren't just this separate little thing. You are this huge part of this interwoven tapestry of everything. Whoa. And then you look at that shirt and that sh in that shirt is written the history of humanity, of the ecosystem, of the universe. Wow. I right find it to be more that challenging with plastic bags. But anyway, that's just me. I'll try to stay positive here. <laughs> it's fun to try it with mundane objects. Yeah. We, we were doing it with the little uh, squirt bottle. Yeah. Yeah. That we have on the counter. It's made of glass and wood and rubber. Plastic. It does have some plastic. A little in it. bit, yeah. yeah. So it has all these different materials. And wow, it takes you on a huge ride. It's if pretty crazy. You're going to try the Origins game. It's important to really follow things and explore. The more you go deep into one thing, the more you're going to start to realize that everything around you is a gigantic web of interconnection with blah, so much. <laughs> <laughs> we need to collect the pieces of your brain and put them back in. They've turned to jello. Okay, action point number three, the unity meditation. Mm -hmm. Because... There are going to be some of you out there who have already thought about this in some way or other, but you really want to go deeper. You want to experience the feeling of that connectedness, not just think mentally, okay, this is how it all works, but to really put your fingers into the dirt and just get in there mm. and feel it. I mean, all three of these action points are exercises that rework our mindset, that take our old paradigm of the world and flip it on end and allow us to see deeper. So it's actually not just retraining our brain, but it's reworking our foundational viewpoint of the world. Mm. But the unity meditation has a beautiful way of letting it sink in, as you said. And we usually do this as a nature meditation if we're doing it with forest monks. And they go out and wear as little clothes as they're comfortable with and lay back and feel themselves soaking into the soil. And you can just go into the soil if you want. And you kind of just imagine yourself becoming the soil and you feel the worms crawling through you and the little fungal networks snaking their way mm -hmm. through as they grow and move. 
and you feel rocks and roots in you. But you can then, if you want, go up into becoming trees and the bird that's landing in those trees and the wind that's moving through those trees. The idea is to feel yourself embodied in these, quote, other things as deeply as you can. You can keep spreading this out into towns and cities and become cars wow. and people and football games and rainbows and geysers in Yellowstone Park. <laughs> wow. And even go out into the, 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 quote, outer space if you want to. Wow. <laughs> That's the unity meditation. It's really, it's deep. But again, you can't just think of it. It's not just a, okay, yeah, I, I'm going to close my eyes and think, Wow, I'm one with the soil. I'm one with the trees. <laughs> that that mental gymnastics doesn't do the same thing as feeling or emotional gymnastics mm. of really going into the sensation of being soil, of being wind. Wow. And when we use our imagination and do that, we start to break down that barrier between me and other. So I have to confess something. This whole time we've been talking about how we're pretty interconnected and all I can think is that I'm, I'm related to you somehow. And you're drawing lines on your skin. Oh, hey. <laughs> you're weird. Hey. How's that for a judgment? Hey. <laughs> but I guess I'm weird too because, you know, I kind of think it's charming. and. Really? Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> well, so should we go see what the girls have decided? We they should, probably yeah. are wondering. I'm sure they're doing something completely different oh, now. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're much more in the moment. <laughs> yeah, kids are really good at that whole non-separation thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my friends, write to us, share any of your experiences or adventures you have with any of these uh, games, exercises that we gave you, practices. Speaking of non-separation, you are a huge part of our lives mm -hmm. and we think of you all the time. You might not know it because we're not there to tell you all the time, but we are so grateful you touch our lives every day and we are just really, really thankful to be in this big adventure together with you. Love to you all.